welcome to the Coventry Vineyard Podcast. Wherever and whenever you're listening, we hope you're blessed by this message. If you want to find out more about our church or speak with someone about Jesus, head to coventryvineyard.org. Treasure. What comes to mind when I say that word? Maybe a secret treasure chest, Pirates of the Caribbean style. A safe filled with precious family jewellery. That 2012 Bruno Mars hit song. Or perhaps that singing crab from Moana, Tamatoa, that covets all things shiny. Whatever comes to mind for you, we could probably agree that treasure is valuable, something of worth. Even children recognise what treasure is. Today we'll look at what Jesus has to say about treasure and what we should value. We're continuing our series in Matthew, looking at the king and his kingdom. So if you have a Bible, join with me as I read Matthew 6, verses 19 to 24. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This passage is so rich, isn't it? As I read it, there are three sections, which is also how we'll divide our time today. The choice between two treasures, sight and light, which at first glance seems a little out of place, devotion to God and money. Let's look at what Jesus had to say. That first verse, do not lay up for yourselves, should really be translated as stop, stop storing up for yourselves. It's a command. Jesus says, stop doing it this way and do it this way. The treasure he mentions are treasures of earth, tangible things. could be money and possessions, but also relationships and reputations, careers. Like we thought about earlier, it's the stuff that we value. But Jesus tells us, and actually we know, that they're finite. They can and will be destroyed or eroded by time. The Greek word is to make something disappear or to vanish. It's not just damage or reduction, it's gone. Do you sometimes feel like your stuff is just stuff? It was important to you yesterday, but today it's just not quite as cool or as new. Jesus is speaking into that very thought, the transiency of it all, that like vapour, one day it's gone. Have you ever heard of the Diderot effect? It's the tendency for one purchase to lead to another. Obtaining a new possession often creates a spiral of consumption. And perhaps you're happy with that new purchase for a while, but then it just tails off and it's no more exciting. We see this in our culture, don't we? Materialism and consumerism infiltrate every area of our lives. Success is having money. We're told to treat yourself, get it now, pay for it later. Money brings security, status, satisfaction, but it doesn't really. It leaves you wanting more. A brilliant American study asked participants, how much money will make you happy? How much is enough? Those that earned $30,000 said, if I have $50,000, that'll be enough. The same question was asked to those that earn $100,000, and on average they said, I need $250,000. Do 
Getting more doesn't make you happier, it just moves the target even further away. Jesus contrasts this kind of fleeting treasure with treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. Now, Jesus isn't just making some reward about an afterlife when he mentions treasures in heaven. This word for heaven is the same one used in Matthew 4, verse 17, when Jesus proclaims, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is God's kingdom. We understand that where the king is, his kingdom reigns. What he says goes. It's both the here and the now, but also the what's to come. Jesus is inviting us to treasure a different kind of kingdom, not an earthly one where things fade and die, but his kingdom, one of life and restoration of hope and healing. N.T. Wright says, as with other references to heaven and earth, we shouldn't imagine he means don't worry about this life, get ready for the next one. Heaven here is where God is right now. And where if you learn to love and serve God right now, you will have treasure in the present, not just in the future. Okay, so we're to value the kingdom of heaven and the king, but what does that mean? And can't we value that as well as earthly treasures? I don't know about you, but I like my stuff. My car, my laptop, my guitars, my friends. Not in that order. Don't tell them I said that. (laughs) But you also have treasure, don't you? Is Jesus saying get rid of it all? Well, yes and no. Let's look at both of those options. We know Jesus spoke a lot about money. In fact, 16 of the 38 parables were about handling money and possessions. The Proverbs speak to it too about provision and forethought. Those who gather little by little will increase. The good leave an inheritance to their children's children. They're both Proverbs 13. God guides Joseph to store up food for seven years in advance of a famine. And Jesus speaks favourably about good stewardship in the parable of the talents. That's later on in Matthew. But the following verse in our passage shows us the flip side too. Let's keep reading. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Did you know the order of that sentence? We might expect it to say where your heart is, your treasure is also. But it's the other way around. Where your treasure is, your heart will be found. We're not giving to the things that matter to us, but actually those very things change us. So we care about them more. Treasure transforms us. Money first and the heart follows. What is most important to you is what you ultimately love. And what we love changes us. Or you could say what we love has power over us. If Jesus isn't our treasure, if he isn't the first in our heart, then something else must be. If we're not fully invested in his kingdom, we're invested somewhere else. Jesus offers us a warning. He knows the hold that our possessions can have, and he invites us to value him, allowing him to change us to be like him. It's an invitation to relationship and into transformation. You might not know what's important to you, It might feel like a bit of a mix or a blur of what's at the top. I suggest a few things. Ask God to show you and then look at your bank account, your time and your energy. Ask the questions, how did I spend my money this month? Or what should I give my free time to? Or what got my best energy? How you spend or invest what you have is the most honest feedback about what you value. And guys, we are so rich. We dismiss ourselves around conversations on wealth because we imagine ourselves as poor. But if you eat food regularly, you live in a home or you decorate your home, you're so rich. 
You might think, oh, I'm a student, I'm not rich, but compared to the nearly 700 million people that live on less than £1.30 a day, you definitely are. If you don't believe me, Google how rich am I giving what we can. There's a calculator that will give you the facts about your own stats. I really recommend you check that out. So how do we do this? How do we go against the pull of possessions? To keep our things from owning us, we need to let them go. If Instagram feeds your desire to look a certain way or possess certain gadgets, take a break from Instagram. Remove yourself from situations where you feel tempted to acquire. Spend more on others than on yourself. Get rid of the things you don't actually need. Give them away. Treat your belongings as though they aren't actually yours. They're not really anyway. And Jesus gives us another antidote. Develop generosity. At first glance, this next section feels a little bit left field, but it isn't here by accident. Let's read from verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Now, I've learned a lot about eye anatomy. I'm a medical student. I could give you a great big lecture on it. I'll spare you. <laughs> but there are some basics that are really helpful in understanding this illustration. Your eye takes in light from the room around you to be able to see. And by that light, you know where you are in relation to your stuff, like your coffee table or your TV. If your eye isn't working, there might be light in the room, but you can't see it. Your brain thinks your body is in darkness. So what's Jesus' point here? Is it just about what we look at? Making sure what we take in is healthy and pure, not damaging to mind and body? Well, yes, that's part of it. But there's more. The description of the eye being healthy and unhealthy is used to look at generosity and stinginess. The exact same words are used in Matthew 20 verse 15 in the story of the labourers in the vineyard. The master of the house gave the same wages to those who start in the morning and those who start at the eleventh hour. The early morning workers grumbled at the master of the house. They were angry that those who worked so little got paid so much. Then the master used a phrase about the bad eye, which is just like the one that we have in Matthew 6, 23. He said, am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? That last section is a paraphrase, not a translation. Or do you begrudge my generosity is a very loose paraphrase of, or is your eye bad because I am good? The bad eye here parallels the bad eye in Matthew 6.23 and in both instances Jesus is saying watch out for greed. Greed has a way of distorting what you see, of blinding you spiritually. A good or clear eye means you have a generous heart, you freely give. It's a decision to see the good, to receive what you have with gratitude and see how you can supply the needs of others. A generosity without limit. It's radical and countercultural and sounds like a different kind of kingdom to the one that we're so often in, doesn't it? One that isn't controlled by finances or fears, but puts others first. That's the kind of kingdom that Jesus died to be able to welcome you into. So where does that leave us? Heavenly treasures are here and now, as well as what's to come, and a healthy eye is all about generosity. Verse 24 gives us a choice between serving God or money. 
The Greek for money is sometimes translated as mammon. Opinions differ about the origin of this term. Some think it was the name of a pagan god, and others think the name comes from the Hebrew aman, which is to trust or confide, because people normally put their trust in riches. Whatever its origin, the meaning is clear. Mammon is materialism, or wealth personified. We cannot be part of two kingdoms. We cannot serve God and money. He's not saying it's unspiritual. He's saying it's impossible. Jesus is saying you can't make me your master and have a love of money. Our marching orders are different. You cannot go north and south. Jesus' way is the way of generosity, treating our belongings as though they aren't ours, not owning for display, but being free from the hold of our possessions. Do you know that God sees you as his treasure? He gave up his only son, Jesus, to pay the price to have you. His gift is matchless. It is the most generous. He offers you eternal life, heavenly riches, and a relationship with him forever if we just say yes to him today. If we say no to the other things that try and grab our attention and make us more like them, but put God as number one in our hearts. Do you accept the gift of his son, Jesus, today? And with him, we get to invest in an eternal kingdom. So what are some of the practical steps we can actually take to lay up treasure in heaven, to have eyes of light and live a generous life, to serve God and not money and become more like Jesus? Well, for some of you who are new to faith or new to Coventry Vineyard, your next step in following Jesus and a journey of generosity could be just to start. One principle is called tithing, giving 10% of what you have back to God, to his church, to enable his cause. And it doesn't matter how much or how little you have, tithing is achievable. And actually tithing is just the start, it's not the limit. Tithing is our training ground. And tithing and giving, being generous is such an adventure. Have you experienced that yet? When I was in my first year of uni, I earned some money for singing on an album. When the money was transferred into my account, a name of a friend popped into my head that I hadn't thought about in ages. Then another random thought happened, maybe I should give it to her. I prayed about it for a day or so, but couldn't shake the idea. I decided I wanted to lean into generosity. It could be a God idea, could be a Beth idea. Either way, I'm called to be generous, so I'm going to do it. I don't need to wait to be told to give. So the next day I messaged that friend and explained to her how I'd come into some money, not much, but felt like God might want to bless her with it. And she came back immediately and said this, Beth, I want you to know how completely undone I was walking home earlier and reading your message. This could not have come at a more apt time. What a wonderful God we live for and how faithful he is. That was blessing number one listening to God and making a difference in someone else's story. It really is better to give than to receive. Then a couple of weeks later, completely out of the blue, I was approached by some old family friends and they offered me a job. They needed a childminder for a few weeks in the summer and as they prayed about it, my name popped into their head. I wasn't expecting to get a job that summer, but I did like the thought of a bit of extra money. It was God's kindness to me, a blessing I didn't expect to receive. Now, we don't just give so we can get back more. That's so not what it's about. It's about why we're giving, being shaped to be more generous and responding to that invitation to grow in trusting God with our finances. 
If you're a student, you might not have thought about budgeting in um, giving or tithing or generosity. You might have thought, oh, I'll start when I'm a proper adult with a proper job. Honestly, if you're not now, you won't then. I challenge you to start today. The values you establish now will shape the rest of your life. Billy Graham said, if a person gets his attitude to money straight, it will help straighten out almost every other area of their life. I started to learn about tithing and giving and generosity when I was really quite young. We were taught about three pots, maybe you remember these two. A pot for saving, a pot for spending, and a pot spending wisely, <laughs> and a pot for giving. From the age of about 11, my um, allowance was about £30 a month. That felt like quite a lot. And I vividly remember going to church with £3 coins in my hand and dropping them in the offering as it went round. I could see my coins amongst the cheques and amongst the bigger notes, but it wasn't about the amount. It's about the faithful saying yes. Jesus commended the widow in Mark 12, who gave her two small copper coins. He said, this widow has put more into the offering than all the others because she gave out of poverty and not wealth. If you're a parent, teach your kids whilst they're young. It builds habits in them that stand them in such good stead later on. Wouldn't it be great if our kids at Coventry Vineyard became adults who knew how to budget? If giving and saving and spending wisely came naturally to them because of what we taught them whilst they were young. And as one of your Sunday worship leaders, I would encourage you that regular planned and generous giving is an act of worship. It's honouring God with the first fruits, saying, I trust you with my life and my finances, God. We choose to give what's right, not what's left. It's the first thing, not the last thing. We're saying, God, first. I want to turn my income into outcomes for God's kingdom. And I give to Coventry Vineyard because I believe in Jesus and I believe in his church. I want to invest in the vision that Nick and Vicky have set out. I want to be a disciple-making disciple, to see an impact in our neighbourhoods, encouraging worship, equipping people to live like Jesus and loving in practical ways. Don't you want to see that happen too? By consistent planned generosity to Coventry Vineyard, we get to invest in that vision. Under Jesus' leading, we get to be a part of making it happen. And what an adventure that is going to be. Now, tithing isn't about the money. It's about trusting God with everything we have, everything we could give to him. It's a practical way to put God first. Guys, God will still love you if you don't give, if you don't tithe but it's the clearest way to move into seeing God bless your life in ways that might surprise you and embark on a real adventure with him. You might already tithe, which is so great. So what's your next step? Perhaps over lockdown, you've not spent as much on meals out or coffee on the way to work or that new wardrobe, which every other year we thought we needed. The next step for you could be to grow in generosity. Now we know things don't actually happen unless we schedule them in. We don't get fit imagining doing a Joe Wicks workout. We actually have to carve out a time and get sweaty. It's the same with generosity. It's a nice idea until you actually schedule it in or set up that standing order, then it becomes habit. And generosity, just like a muscle, can be trained and stretched. We need to budget it in. It won't happen by accident. Create those separate pots and respond to God's prompting to be generous. Maybe to stretch your generosity muscle, you could give to Grow Baby or sign up to Coventry Food Bank. Ask about the life of those in your life group and actually do something about it. If finances are something you struggle with though, 
ask for help, sign up for a cap money course, learn about simple budgeting and saving. I love what Greg Boyd has to say on this matter. He says, kingdom economics, receive blessing without any guilt and share blessing without any reservations. That is the way of the kingdom of God. In our community, there are so many stories of transformation and God's work as people have trusted him with their money. But there are also so many stories yet to happen. Wherever we are, let's take those next steps as followers of Jesus. So friends, what is your next step to live a life of generosity? We're going to take some time to respond to God right now. I'm going to pray that we're going to wait together. So God, would you come and speak to us? Would you highlight to us the ways in which you want us to grow in generosity? Show us what it means to be a generous people. We want to live like you. Come Holy Spirit. And now we're just going to wait. Don't be afraid of the silence. Allow God to speak. For some of you, finances has always been an area that you don't trust yourself with. It feels scary, it feels overwhelming, and you don't know which way things could go. But God is saying to you today, trust me. I care for you more than you could ever know. I love you. I gave up so much to have you. And I want to be able to help you in this. Would you trust me today? So if that's you, um, just encourage you to, to ask God to show you what he's doing in your heart. And make those steps. Say, God, I want to choose to trust you. Help me to do that. And for others of you right now, names of friends and situations are popping into your head. That's God's prompting. He's saying, I want you to act on my behalf, to be generous with what I've already given you. So don't just dismiss those thoughts. That is the Lord speaking to you. Some of you, um, you might not have heard, heard the Lord before. You don't think you have. This is him speaking to you right now. So we're just going to wait a little bit longer. God, would you continue to speak to us? Place those names in our heads and in our hearts and we want to respond. Thank you for your presence with us, God. Amen. tuning in today. We would love to connect with you on a Sunday morning soon. Bless you and have a great week.